One of the most important letters ever written to Christians was the letter that Paul wrote to the Romans. He had never visited Rome, but he was looking at getting the gospel to all the world. And really, Romans is like the constitution of Christianity. And in a couple of weeks, we will be starting a extended series on diving into the book of Romans. I hope you'll let that be part of your four-week challenge. Just last week, I was uh, at Walmart and uh, getting some grocery shopping done, and uh, someone came up to me, introduced themselves. They said, are you the pastor of Timber Creek? Because I am. And and uh, they said, well, the way you were driving out there, no, they didn't say that, but uh, uh, they said, hey, I'll see you on Easter weekend. I, I'm, we're gonna, I'm bringing our family on Easter weekend. I said, oh, that's great, man. Well, wh whatever uh, service you attend, you know, come, you know, make sure we, we get to say hi to each other. And he said, yeah, and hey, I, I'm, a, I'm a CEO. And uh, I said, oh, okay, cool. I mean, it doesn't, we have a lot of people from a lot of different walks and different uh, vocations, so I think we can find a spot uh, for you. And he kind of cut me off and said, no, 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 I mean, CEO, I, Christmas, Easter only. <laughs> CEO, oh, 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 okay. So, well, hey, that's all right, too. So for all our CEOs in the house, we're so glad to have you. It's okay, it's okay. I'm gonna give you a secret. I'm gonna give you a secret. We do this every week. We do this every week. And, and, and I'm telling you, take that four-week challenge and just see what Pastor Justin didn't say to you is that they were in the middle of a divorce, in the middle of a broken relationship, in the middle of hell on earth. And it wasn't church in itself. It wasn't the organized religion. It was getting around people, being real with people, walking with people in the highs and the lows, in the bright lights and in the dark shadows. God did an amazing work that now six years later, he's our campus pastor for the Lufkin location. God's just up to something around here, everybody. It's so cool. Well, you know, I understand coming, though, to Easter services and Christmas services because our culture still finds time for those special occasions. Even though we live in a very secular culture, we do recognize Christmas and Easter as very historical moments that we should pay attention to. But what I want to encourage you with today is Easter is way more than just a historical event. I mean, it actually happened. The resurrection of Jesus is verified. It is true. It has been eyewitnessed. Um, but it's way more than just something that we put on the calendar that we lead up to and then we move on with our lives until Christmas. Easter was not meant from God's point of view to be historical as much as Easter is a personal event. See, the word of God, although it has history, it's not a history book from Genesis to Revelation. It's historical, but it's not meant to be historical. It's not meant to be a textbook. It's meant to be a, a love letter. It's personal. And it's not personal in the idea of it's a story about people that really want to get close to God. In fact, it's pretty much the opposite, how we try to push away from God all the time. It's really a story, a personal story about a God that wants to get close to people. And Resurrection Sunday is not just something, like I said, that's historical. It's so personal. And we could, we could rewind from, from Easter Sunday into Good Friday and the Passover meal and the crucifixion and the Garden of Gethsemane. But there's so many places we could go in, into this story. But today, we're just going to land on one of the stories around Easter. It happened Easter night. A few hours after Jesus resurrected, it began to show up. We come to this place in John chapter 20 where Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are considered like camera angles of the same story. 
And John takes the camera and moves into a house, a safe house, and it's at resurrection night that we pick up the story. John chapter 20, verse 19, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together. They weren't together singing kumbaya. They weren't together getting an agenda up for the, they weren't meal prepping. They were together because the Jesus they had followed for three years, the teacher, the rabbi, who they now believed was the anointed one that was going to bring, bring uh, Israel into a kingdom that was going to bring freedom to the captives, like their leader, who they saw raise the dead, heal blind eyes, touch sick people and make them whole, they saw him with force pulled from their group at night, beaten within an inch of his life, sped upon, stripped naked, pierced onto a tree and placed on a busy road into Jerusalem, mocked, insulted, flogged. They watched him as the final blow took place and the soldier speared his side in blood and water Flowed, and his lifeless body was then unpinned from the tree, wrapped, put in the back of a cart and taken to someone else's tomb. And they were afraid that that thing, same thing might happen to them, so they were together, not celebrating. They were together with the kerosene lamps drawn low and the drapes shut tight and every lock on the door positioned. They were afraid because could that same thing happen to them? And in the middle of their fear, in the middle of their uncertainty, in the middle of I don't know what's gonna happen next, have we just wasted the last three years of our life in a supernatural moment? Because Jesus just like this, everybody. Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. I, you know, I think he had to say peace be with you and not like, I'm back, because they were freaking out. He had to say peace because when you just like show up in a room and you've been dead, you're like, ah! Nathaniel passes out. Andrew spits his coffee into the sink. Peter's just over in the corner. He has to say, peace be with you. And in this moment, after he said this, he rolls his sleeves up and he shows them his hands and he he pulls his shirt open and he shows them his side. He's giving them what they need to believe that this isn't a poser. This is the man who just was wounded for our transgressions. The disciples went from fear to overjoyed in a matter of moments because they had seen the Lord. They had like encountered Jesus. Now, Thomas also known as Didymus. Some of you are somebody known as something. I have a friend of mine on the front row. His name's Bubba, but his real name's not Bubba. His real name is Carol. But we know him as Bubba. Our pastor, Lufkin campus pastor, Pastor Justin is known as really, for a lot of people, Biscuit. That's his, that's his nickname. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, which means kind of, basically means twin, we, we don't know him as D. Diddy or T. Diddy. We, we, we don't know him as Didymus. We know him as another nickname. Anybody remember the nickname that Christendom has given Thomas throughout history? It is very good, very good. Yeah, Doubting Thomas. And he gets that nickname from this story. 
from this story that just now unfolds, Thomas, also known as D. Diddy, Doubting Didymus, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. He was out running an errand. He had to finish his door dash. He was running around picking up groceries. We don't know what he was doing, but he wasn't with the disciples when Jesus showed up and said, peace, and showed them the scars. And so the other disciples said, you won't believe it, Tommy, Tommy. Tell him, Nate, tell him, Drew, tell him, Pete. Like, what, yeah, tell him. Oh, Tom, you won't believe it, man. We've seen him, we've seen him, he's alive. Now, Thomas said to them, that's all nice and good and okay and whatever. But guys, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and I put my finger where his nails were, and put my hand into his side, unless I can with my own eyes and with my own hands see what you saw, I'm not gonna believe. I'm not gonna believe. And I wonder if we give Thomas a bad rap because we're expecting him to believe on a basis that none of the other disciples, they were in fear and without belief until Jesus showed up and gave them what they needed to believe and Tommy wasn't in the room where it happened. And I wonder if some of us have experienced the same thing where we've had parents or grandparents, a friend who's had an encounter with God and they say, that's nice for you, but that, that's not been my experience. You, you had that life. My life hadn't been that. My life has been full of some crazy valleys and some things that shouldn't have and couldn't have been from God. And how could a loving God? And you're struggling. And how will Thomas get what he needs? And how might you on this Easter weekend get what you need to believe? That's the challenge of this morning. But God is going to meet us in the middle of that challenge. Would you pray with me? Father, the next few moments we have, may you speak so clearly beyond a sermon, beyond words spoken into a microphone. May you tailor to fit the specifications of every man, woman, young and old, that by the time we leave here today, we will have said to one another today, I've heard from God and I believe. We ask it in the name of Jesus, the strong son of God. And everybody said, amen. I'm gonna ask for some audience participation. I'm gonna give you a softball to begin. I'm gonna give you a statement and now you give it back to me, the, the rest of the story, okay? Well, we'll give you a softball first. Like a good neighbor, very well-insured crowd this, this morning at Easter, very good. Okay, let me give you another one, it's a little bit harder. Um, <clears throat> oops. Wow, wow, that is, that is terribly awesome and terrible, and I think my wife was over there going, I did it, I can. Let me give you another one, a little older generation. Oh, we're halfway there. Yes, yes, okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, don't get carried away. Yeah, very good, very good. Hey, what about this one? You have to see it, of course. And it's this story that really makes that line famous. You just gotta see it believe it. But the truth is that even when you see it and you believe it, it can be hard to trust it. It can be hard to really follow through with it. In the 1850s, there was a tightrope extraordinaire named Charles Blondin. 
Charles Blondin would run his cable from skyscraper to skyscraper, over canyons, across bridges, hundreds of feet in the air, and he became known as this incredible, like, face, fear, in the eyes kind of stuntman. One of his most famous feats was over Niagara Falls, stretching a cable across the entire span of Niagara. And for several days, Charles Blondin, without a Twitter feed or a sponsored Facebook post, the crowds would gather watching Charles walk across the tightrope. And every time the ante would go up just a little bit, he would walk across with his balance beam. The next time he would walk across without his balance beam. Then he walked out into the middle and cooked an egg on a portable stove. Then he walked back through the other side blindfolded. Then one day, kind of for the finale, he went across with a wheelbarrow blindfolded with, with some bricks in it. And when he got to the other side, by this time, hundreds of people on both sides of Niagara were just, I mean, they were, they were like teenage girls at a Bieber concert. They had Blondin Bieber. Blondin puts the wheelbarrow down and says, how many of you believe I can go back over with more bricks in the wheelbarrow? And they said, we believe, Blondin, we believe. Little organ in the background. Oh, how many of you believe that I can take 200 pounds of bricks over blindfolded in the wheelbarrow? We believe, Blondin. How many of you believe I can take a human in the wheelbarrow? with me. We believe. And people are like, ah, this is going to be crazy. This is crazy. He said, who will volunteer? Cricket. Cricket. Blink, blink. Somebody in the back, take my wife, please. You know. <laughs> see, it's one thing to see it, and it's another thing to believe it. It's another thing to, like, get in the wheelbarrow. And see, Jesus is inviting us to see it and to believe it. But then trust him that he's got you in this. Trust him enough. Trust his feet and trust his hands and trust his balance. Trust his equilibrium across this cosmos. But that's a struggle with us, isn't it? Because we're uncertain. We just... We just don't know if it's really going to be okay. We've seen it, but we just, we got to really trust and believe. The truth is, we're addicted to certainty. If you're taking notes in your worship guide, you can write these down. We are addicted to certainty. Got to know when it's going to happen, where it's going to happen, how it's going to happen, who's going to be there, when's it going to be done, when it's going to start, is it going to be okay for me? Am I going to have enough money for the investment? Am I going to do this? I'm going to, we are addicted to certainty. We got to know the ins and outs. And it's good to be a good steward of what you got. And it's, it's important to be thinking through stuff and considering things and, and kind of assessing risk. But we are addicted to certainty. And sometimes following Jesus, you're just not going to be certain that you can trust. The truth is when uncertainty is high, what happens is just like Thomas our doubts begin to build. And Thomas is in the middle of a season of his life where his doubts are building because his uncertainty is at an all-time high. And it wasn't just there that there were uncertain people or people that had doubts. Our culture, you and I are living in a culture that has some doubts. 
How's things going to play out? What's the next step? We have doubts about one another and people and you name it. And we have doubts in this culture. Our culture doubts Jesus, organized religion, church, and deservedly so, because you can't go into one of these things other than Jesus himself without having some humanity in it. And we tend to like fall short of the glory of God and people get experiences that are supposed to be full of the spirit and they're also full of us and then it can hurt and it causes doubt to raise. So our culture has some doubts about Jesus, but so do strong Christ followers. Even people that grew up in the church, people that have been close to Jesus, like Thomas, who was willing to follow Jesus to his death, now just can't believe it. But it wasn't just Thomas. The guy who says to a crowd, there's someone coming more powerful than I, I can't even take off his Crocs. Like, this guy is so awesome. I can't unbuckle his Birkenstocks. He is going to baptize you, but he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's John the Baptist talking about his cousin Jesus. And John the Baptist is the one that sees Jesus coming to be water baptized. He said, this, this is the guy who's going to take away the sin of the world, baptizes him, hears the voice of heaven say to Jesus, that's my son and then later, John the Baptist would be arrested and imprisoned. And we pick up with John in Matthew 11. He was now in prison. He had heard all about the miracles that Messiah was doing. And he sent his disciples to ask Jesus a question. Are you really? Are you really who you are? Who you are? are you really who you say you are? Or shall we keep on looking? Sometimes you've stepped out and said, oh, he's good, and then life doesn't stay good, and we wonder, is he really who I should be getting in the wheelbarrow with, or is there something else that can bring me stability and certainty in this life? And we doubt all the time. We don't necessarily call it doubt. Like, when we doubt the future, that's, that's worry. Uh, when we doubt other people, we don't call it doubt, but it is suspicion. When we doubt ourselves, that's insecurity. Uh, when we doubt Facebook... That's what we call intelligence. That's wisdom. Solomon was the wisest man who ever lived, probably because he didn't have a social media account, to be honest. And you know what? When we doubt God, uh-oh. When we doubt God, if you grew up in church circles or around Christians, you may have heard that when we doubt God, that's unacceptable. God said it. I believe it. His word says it. That settles it. That's unacceptable. And that's just immature. You just need to, you just need to rub another prayer in that wound, brother. You just need to grow up a little bit in Christ. You just need to live a little bit. When you, when you really begin, I mean, you'll, you'll understand. But what I want to say to you is when we doubt God, it's normal. Because the people that Jesus surrounded himself that saw Jesus raise dead people, still struggled with doubt. And the truth is that we don't doubt God, okay? We don't doubt that God exists. In fact, a very incredibly small sliver of the world's population would consider themselves someone who doesn't believe in God. Very small sliver. Really what we doubt is not his existence, we just doubt what kind of God he is because of our circumstances, because of our moments like Thomas had where he missed out on something or something hit him that he wished he would have missed out on. For example, when answers to our prayers are delayed, we doubt God's care. Do you even care that I'm going through this? What kind of God would let me go through this? Does he care, does he hear me? When we doubt, uh, when, when we face a seemingly impossible situation where we don't know which way to turn and we feel uh, paralysis of analysis and we feel stuck, we can doubt God's power. Is he even strong enough to get me through this? 
when a tragedy strikes, because it, it does and it will. And it rains on godly people and ungodly people. When tragedy strikes, we doubt God's love and wisdom. What kind of all-knowing, all-wise God would take our child? When God's word contradicts my life or the life of someone I love, God's word says, this is the way, walk this way. But you say, "Mm, I know that's the way you say, but our culture and my personal preference or my feeling is that I need to walk this way. I need to be true to my feeling. And God says, no, 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 this is my word. Walk this way. And not only you, but maybe someone you love walks a different way according to God's word. What that is, is we're doubting God's authority. Like, does God have final authority to say yes and say no to you? Does he have permission to tell you no on some things? So I got good news and I got some bad news. Which one do you want to hear first? It don't matter. I'm going to give you the bad news first. I'm going to give you the bad news first. Here's the bad news. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says a doubtful mind, that uncertain mind, is going to be as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. You're just going to, anybody ever gotten seasick? Anybody ever gotten car sick on trips into Arkansas when I was a kid? Windy roads. My parents would toss a, a, a bread sack in the back, an empty bread sack with like one heel. You know, you just left, you leave the one heel of the bread right in there. And that would be our, what's the biblical term, barf bag for for the trip. If they didn't bring any uh, uh, bread sacks, my dad was so genius. He said, pull your T-shirt over your nose, son. Throw up in your T-shirt. Don't get it on the car. Wow, dad. Make sure your shirt's tucked in, (laughs) you know. Like that's how we can be when we have a doubtful mind. It just makes us sick. Our equilibrium's gone. We don't trust our own footing, let alone God's footing. And every decision you're gonna make will be uncertain as you first turn this way and that. I don't want that for you and God doesn't want that for you and you don't want that for you. So what if, what if we could move beyond these seasons, these challenges, these places where maybe we haven't seen but we wanna believe and we need to trust, trying to put it all together, I've got good news. I've got good news. Apostle Paul says, we are often troubled. You're not gonna get, that's not the good news that you're never gonna be troubled, but we don't have to be crushed. Sometimes you will have doubt, but you don't have to be defeated in it. In other words, write it down. I can have doubts without being defeated. And so we pick back up with Thomas and some time has passed. In fact, seven full days later, a week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Now, I have, I have read this story. I've preached about Thomas before, uh, but I didn't catch this until this. This is why you ought to read the Bible. You ought to read it more than once. And listen, it's not about just getting through the Bible in a year. It's just, it's about letting some of the Bible get through you. Stop trying to just push it all in and cram for the exam. Just let some of the Bible get into you this year. For the first time I saw this, A week later, the disciples were in that house again. They had left, they had walked out, they had done their own thing, but they were back in the house and Thomas was with them. Here's what I caught this this next time around reading the Bible. Doubts don't lock you out. And it's so important that if you're gonna have struggles and you're gonna have doubts that you don't do it alone, be around people that will walk with you in this. That's why it's so important to consider a four-week challenge to consider getting in community and walking out this faith and not 
feeling like you have to do it alone. And here's what happens. A week later, Thomas is there with the disciples, all the posse's in, and though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Now, pause. Did John just make a mistake in his penmanship? Because he's writing what he already wrote. He already wrote that, that Jesus, though the doors were locked, Jesus, I mean, the exact same thing he wrote. Why does he have to do this again? Is Jesus messed up on his calendar? Did he get double booked? Is he showing up again and saying, oh, wait, I already did this? No. See, Jesus is willing to go through this process again for what we read next. Then he said to Thomas. See, Jesus is willing to go into the same crowd and say the same thing for someone new. Every week we talk about the hope and the glory and the goodness of God every week. And every week this audience at all of our locations looks slightly different. And even again today, Jesus is in the room because you're in the room. He is in the room wanting to say to you, peace, be still, peace. And he says to Thomas, Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. He didn't say, hey, you numb skull, what you thinking? You know, put, smacks him upside the head. Can't you believe three and a half years I did all this stuff, walking on water and whatnot and everything? You can't even believe for a second? Come on, man. No, he gives. It's crazy. He, I mean, this is just, God, man, you just all follow Jesus. It's just amazing. Like, this guy's good. He gives Thomas exactly what he needs in that moment to believe. There's two important things that we see here. Jesus doesn't disown the doubter. If you're doubting forward, if you're struggling forward, if you're trying to figure it out forward, Jesus does not disown the doubter. A week later, Thomas hasn't bolted like the roadrunner. Thomas is still with the crew. He's trying to figure this thing out and he doesn't disown the doubter. And in this same moment, Jesus offers the antidote for my doubt. He says, Thomas, believe, believe. You're not gonna see everything. In fact, he gives them a secret beatitude at the end of this. He says, Blessed are those that can believe without seeing. You want blessings in your life? You want a secret blessing? Believe even when you can't see it. Even when you don't know if it's gonna be worth it to trust him. Get in the wheelbarrow with Jesus. Let me just give you, I mean, I could give you so many, but let me just give you a handful of benefits that, like Thomas, benefits that are available to you and me when we believe, when we rely, when we cling to the resurrection. Let me just give you a handful. Number one is there is no pain his purpose cannot redeem. There's no pain you'll experience that his purpose cannot redeem. Now, don't get it twisted. We can hear this a lot. Everything happens for a reason. I want you to know that's, that's bad theology. Everything happens, but some things just happen because we live in a broken world. There is no reason for it other than this is a, this is a broken world. When an eight-year-old child is human trafficked in Cambodia, 
Everything happens for a reason. Doesn't make sense to that eight-year-old. But what's amazing is through the efforts of even ministry we support, like Project Rescue, that will go out and begin to find these women and their children that have no hope, that are in vicious cycle of human trafficking. We can see their pain redeemed by giving them fresh purpose for their life beyond what they've been in. And there is no pain. His purpose can't, it's an exchange rate. It's what Jesus came to do is, is make an incredible exchange with us. When he announces himself to the synagogue, he says, he reads from the scroll of Isaiah, God, my father has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, proclaim freedom for the captives, release from darkness for the prisoners. And then he talks about this exchange, bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of the crown of ashes. And some of you, maybe that's the crown you feel like you've been destined to wear, something that's burned up in life. Joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise to dress yourself in, in worship and praise instead of despair. This is the kind of exchange he gives us. There is no pain. Your pain can be a platform for what God wants to do. Number two, there is no fear. His presence cannot calm. The disciples were freaking out. They didn't know what was next, but just showing up into the room and saying peace. And what I want you to know is peace isn't a prescription from Jesus. Peace is Jesus. Peace isn't something that he gives you in his hand that he tosses to your hand. Peace is his presence. There's the psalmist who's struggling, and really, you know what he's struggling with? He's had some bad experiences in his life, and he sees bad people getting good stuff, people that don't follow God having awesome things, and he wrestles with that, and he cries out to God with it. He says, oh, I tried to understand all this, God, and it troubled me deeply. Can I just let you know it's the good news? God isn't offended by any prayer you pray. He isn't offended by, you don't have to say, oh, thus saith thine father. Like, you don't have to go King James on the deal. You can just say, God, what's up? In fact, in fact, if, if people would spend less time going to Facebook or whatever other social media and trying to get an answer, trying to get an answer from a social media platform for their major struggle, social media isn't supernatural. It is unbelievably natural, and the only answers are natural. But when we go to God, we have access to a supernatural response. So just know, if we go and at the top of our thumbs on on Facebook, we're saying, I can't believe this, and I can't believe that, and how dare he do this, and, <laughs> and you know who you are. <laughs> Just know the answer you're going to get is a human response. But we go to God, and we lay all that out, and how come, God? This troubles me. But then the psalmist says, but I entered the sanctuary of God, and then I understood there was something about his presence getting in, and that sanctuary doesn't have to be Timber Creek Church or any church, although we need one another to carry one another's burdens. There are so many one another's in the Bible you'll never do if you go solo. Well, KSWP, and that, that's, that's my church. Okay, listen to it, but that ain't church. That, that's not gathering together like this as the body of Christ. You need that. I need it. I need this. Number three, there is no life his power cannot resurrect. Here's what we can be guilty of. We read the Bible, we hear sermons about the Bible, and we think of the lives in the Bible and we see it like a, like a movie. We, we, we watch it like a Broadway show, we, we read it like a, like a book, 
where we're, we're picturing the characters, but we're on the outside of the pages looking in. And what I want you to start working on is breaking the fourth wall. Breaking the fourth wall is a terminology that's in uh, this kind of drama and Broadway and movies where when someone is acting on a stage or acting behind a screen, uh, behind a camera, they, they, will, they will kind of bring in the audience by talking directly to the audience and that's breaking the fourth wall. Uh, it, it's kind of been modernized in, in a very popular series over the last few years called The Office with, with different people from The Office like Jim Halpert. And Jim Halpert's in The Office, but then all of a sudden, whoop, there he is. He broke the fourth wall. He's in it. He's doing his thing, but then he brings us into the story by just giving us a real quick look. That's what breaking the fourth wall is all about. It's not a new thing. When you go to Norman Rockwell, a famous painter who painted four different works of art based on Franklin Delano Roosevelt's State of the Union address, four pieces of art called freedom of speech, or freedom of worship, freedom of speech, freedom from fear, and freedom from want. He painted paintings that had that fourth wall component. This is the painting called Freedom from Want. And if you look closely, let's get a closer look. Um, there's two things that are a little concerning. Number one is, is that a baby's head in the fruit? I don't know. I'm wondering <laughs> what just happened. That, we'll not focus on that. I can't, I can't preach on that one right now. But let's look at this guy in the corner, kind of crazy Uncle Eddie over here. He, he, Eddie's breaking the fourth wall. Eddie's breaking the fourth wall. He's saying, you see what I see? And way beyond Norman Rockwell and Jim Halpert, John, who gave us the painting of the book of John, who gave us the series of that camera angle and that drone shot of Jesus, John puts his final remarks on that entire book by breaking the fourth wall. He talks all about this, but then he breaks the fourth wall. But these are all written that you, you, me, us may believe. This is, this is seeing it. We are seeing it to believe it today. This is all written so that you would believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. So that you gotta break the fourth wall and stop reading, oh, must be nice for them to have that struggle and have Jesus show up. The only reason it's written in there is not just to give a historical account of the Jesus we serve, but to make it personal for you. He'll meet you right where you are. That no matter what you've gone through, no matter what kind of doubt, no matter what kind of party you miss, no matter what kind of struggle you're facing, no matter what kind of wound that you've been rehearsing or nursing, no matter what kind of person you have cursed, no matter what kind of bitterness or what kind of, 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 of like, like someone's, someone's done you wrong. Jesus isn't just in here, in the Bible. Jesus will meet you there. Listen to the words of this song. Every time I try to make it on my own, Every time I try to stand, it's stopped to fall. 
And all those lonely roads that I've traveled on There was Jesus There was a time in my life where I had everything, but I was lost. I felt unfulfilled and alone. I felt abandoned and unloved. I was lost, beat down by addiction. My whole life, I always considered myself a failure. I was sick, suffering, and lost. When the life I built came crashing to the ground, when the friends I had were nowhere to be found, I couldn't see it then, and I can see it now. There was
doubt can hit at any time the most faithful of followers. He was a bankrupt fisherman, had fished all night. Somebody commandeers his boat. He's cleaning the nets. And this man named Jesus says, launch out into the deep, Pete. And with that catch starts a chain of events. Peter begins to follow, but yet even Peter, who would say, you're the son of the living God, you're the Messiah. Jesus would say, oh, on this rock, I'm gonna build my church. The gates of hell aren't gonna prevail against it. I'll follow you, I'm, I'll protect you, I'll fight for you. He, he cuts a guy's ear off as they're taking him away in the garden. Jesus says, Pete, no, it's not what I, that, no, no, this is not what we do. Peter's so willing to defend him, but then he gets in a tight corner and pressure's built and aren't you one of his disciples? And the fear takes over. And he's like, I don't, even, I don't even know what you're talking about. Another kid, a kid says, I, I know you're with him. And he, he curses at him. Get away from, I don't know what things are talking about. Shut your mouth. And his savior dies. And yet Jesus meets Peter like he met Thomas restores him, gives him another chance. Peter would be on the day of Pentecost, the leader who would bring in the birth of the church. Later, he would write First and Second Peter. And this life that we're invited into, this getting the wheelbarrow kind of life to trust him, what does that look like? Well, Peter tells us, he says, this is the kind of life you've been invited into. It's the kind of life Christ lived. He says, he suffered everything. So that means that the life you're invited into, you're gonna suffer some stuff, but he came his way so you would know that it could be done so that when you suffer, you're not alone. As the song says, we never walk alone. You could know that it could be done and know how to do it. Wouldn't it be terrible if the Bible says, you can have this life, how do you do it? I'm, huh? Good luck. The word of God is, is there to give us the living word. His word is there to show us how to do it and show us how to do it, not all at once, but step by step, even across the guide wires of life that we can trust him, we can trust his feet. I'm so glad that Thomas wasn't in the room where it happened because it means that Jesus will come in my room and meet me where I am too. But the step that you have to take today is not get in the wheelbarrow, but you just have to start. Even if you can't see it, believe. Believe he is who he says he is. And that's really the question for our survey. Do you believe? And so would I, I'd invite all of our locations to pull the survey out and hold it in your hand and we can see that there's an A, a B, a C, or D. And so get ready, you can scan the QR code on your survey. Hey, everybody pull it out. I'll wait for just a moment where you have it in your hand. All locations. And so now we take this survey and the question we're answering is, will we believe he is who he says he is and begin to follow him? You would check D on the survey if today you're saying, mm, no thanks, 
I don't ever intend on making that decision. I, I came with a friend or I came from an invite. This is, isn't really my thing. I got my own theories. I want you to know, we're just glad you're here. I hope that you maybe brought your kids and your kids got to experience an incredible Sunday with us and maybe your family. But if that's you, here's what we'll do. Be honest with yourself because this is something you need to really think about. And check D if that's really who, where you are. And here's our promise. We're not gonna bug you. We're not gonna uh, chase you down. We're not gonna lock the door on you. You're welcome anytime. But here's our prayer for you this year. That if the Lord is really who he says he is, if he really is God, that he would show you this year what you need like he showed Thomas. That's our prayer. That's our prayer. And that you would have eyes to see it. You would check mark C if you're saying, this is intriguing, I'm, I'm still considering, I'm not quite ready. We want to design this church with you in mind that you're not just coming into a secret that everybody's in on. There is no inside joke here. There, there's, there's no inside conversation. We, we want to, to journey together. And I see myself uh, less of a pastor, more of a tour guide, like pastor tour guide really, to kind of guide us into some next steps of deepening our faith one decision at a time. And if that's you and you wanna keep considering it, just be honest with yourself and with God and we wanna pray for you and let you know we got a seat for you every Sunday. Now today, if you're saying, yeah, I needed this today, I, th this is where I am, then you would check mark B and you'd say, I'm ready to start or restart a relationship with Jesus. I wanna trust his hand, his balance, his equilibrium, his expertise. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna get in the wheelbarrow with Jesus today. I'm gonna trust him through thick and thin. And you would check mark B and I'm gonna pray over you in just a minute. You check mark A if you're saying, yeah, you know what, I'm already following Jesus, I'm there. I would just encourage you, number one, thank you for being honest with yourself, but you ought to also re-up on your surrender today. Let Resurrection Sunday 2023 be the day that you say, Jesus, is there any deeper layer of surrender and obedience you're inviting me into? And get in the wheelbarrow with him. Trust him at a deeper level this, this Easter. Now, for those of you that are making a decision today, it's a big one, it's a beautiful one, and it's just one decision. Just start believing. Can I pray over you? Just close your eyes all across our campuses. Father, thank you that you're not mad at us, that you loved us so much that you would give us what we need to believe. And although we may not be able to put our physical fingers in your physical scars, those scars represent love poured out on us. The fourth wall has been broken. It's not just a cantata. It's not just an Easter story. That love, that cross, that death, that resurrection, those scars are for me. And I believe it today. And I'm asking you to help me follow you one step at a time today. Be my Lord and my Savior. I step off the throne of my heart and I place you on the throne of my heart as my God and my Savior and my Lord. And I'm scared a little bit. And I don't even know what that means. I'll have to change. And what might I have to give up? And what might I have to... Well, what I know is I'll never have to walk alone, though. And I can trust your balance and your hands. So in the same words that you said on the cross, Jesus, I say today, into your hands, I commit my spirit. I believe. 
We ask it all in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. And would you just give it up for those that made a decision to follow Jesus today? Now, here's what we're going to do in a few moments. We're going to take those survey cards, and we have, we have got the actual wheelbarrows from Charles Blondin. No, we don't. They're just from Home Depot. We've got wheelbarrows out in all of our location lobbies, and you'll, you'll drop that survey, whether it's an A, a B, a C, or D, all those surveys go in there, and that's a gift today. Thank you for that gift. Before we go, I'm gonna invite our campus pastor over at Nacogdoches. Grove, stick with me, and Lufkin, stick with me, but Nacogdoches, Marco Johnson's coming to give you your fourth point on your worship guide. Uh, Nacogdoches, give it up for Pastor Marco and everybody here. Well, I know there's, some, there's plenty of OCD people in the house. You got to get the fourth, the fourth one, right? Like, what's he doing on Easter Sunday not giving me number four? So let me go ahead and give you number four. Write it down. There is no answer for this blank. You just write it down in your notes. And then there's a quote that I want to share with you. It was just a hook to keep you connected. Because every Sunday I'm up here on this platform and when I give you the last point, I'm gonna get my grocery list out, I'm gonna do my thing, I'm gonna run over there and beat the crowd over to the kid works because I, I gotta make that two minutes up on the, we are gonna have to be fast and get out of here so we can get to the next service. But here's what I'm gonna invite you to do. Stand where you are, but stay where you are. Keep you connected just for one more minute. My prayer team is coming. Our new here team is coming and our follow Jesus is coming. And let me share with you four ways to respond today beyond your survey card. If you need prayer over anything before you walk out the door, I'd invite you to come right here to center stage. Somebody would love to pray with you. Put a hand on your shoulder. If you're new to Timber Creek, you'd love to ask a question, maybe get an answer. Right here, new here, wave it up in the air like you just don't care. A little bit more. Oh, that was terrible. We're going to do better over here. Oh, it's like this. It's like this. Okay. All right. Now we got, we got, we got follow Jesus over here. Show, show me how it's done. Oh, there it is. All right. If you're making a decision to follow Jesus today, first time or first time in a long time, we'd love to just say hello to you. We have some resources for you to take a next step. In the meantime, the fourth way, may you live trusting his good hands and his good balance. May the Lord bless you and keep you, make his face shine upon you. May he give you peace in Jesus' name. God bless you, everybody. Happy Easter.